Hey Theologues, welcome again to this neighborhood. We have a very special, very special episode for you this week. This is my dear friend Danny Grant. Um, it's a little bit different this week in that Danny and I simply sat down and recorded one of the conversations that we have on a regular basis. We talked about sacraments at first and then it gave way to this really heavy and powerful discussion about eternity and chaos and void and the implications that that has for our life today, what the difference between uh, complacency and rest is. We get into all of these things, um, and they just build off one another, and uh, unfortunately I can't just cut right to the chase, so it's a, it's a it's a bit of a building process, so it may seem a little bit slow at first, but it gets really good if, you, if you're if you in and you pay attention. And this one doesn't have specific markers to mark where one conversation starts and the other ends, because it all ties back in together, uh, just like how we talked about eternity is the oneing of everything. This episode, everything is conflated. But it's an amazing conversation, and I would encourage you to think while it's going on and take notes and then comment, and we can start a whole conversation about all of these crazy ideas that we, uh, that Danny and I threw back and forth in the next hour. Here's Danny. Um, what is it? Who are you? Why are you here? And where are you going? Who are you, child of God? Um, wh- where are you going and what was the second one? Why are you here? Why am I here? Um, make believers of nations, disciples of the nations. Save. To serve. To be part of the kingdom of God in whatever way that that is. Nice. To be useful. I like that. To be useful. Me too. That's pretty much where you're going to, I guess, eh? Where am I going? No, no, I'm going somewhere totally oh, okay. different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got it all wrong. <laughs> that's why it's going to screw up in the end. Ah, that's the great mystery. Yeah, that's the thing. embarrassing part at the end. <laughs> the correct answer was Mormonism. <laughs> <laughs> Don't include that. <laughs> I, I, I will. That's a good one. Have you seen that South Park episode? Yeah. Yeah, that's what and I was quoting. Just, and they're all like, they're all like, I'm a devout Catholic. <laughs> Correct answer is Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Mormons are pissing off God because they're so happy all the yeah. time. <laughs> the perfect haircuts. <laughs> Piss anybody off. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that where where are you going? Because it's like it's enigmatic. You know, it's like this uh, this sort of. Um, I'm probably wrong, you know, I like that. My, I had a, um, uh, you ever watched the Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton? No. It's, it's so great, and most actors watch it and really like it. And um, they had, um, at the end, they always ask him a couple questions, like, what's your favorite curse word, and all these different questions. And the last one is always, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? And so all the actors have different answers for that. Um, and mine, when I get interviewed, I'm going to say, 
<clears throat> I want God to say, um, you were wrong about most things, but I still love you anyways. That's a good one. That's what I would say on the show. Yeah, I was only in Bible school for two years, so I don't didn't learn too much, but I learned enough to know I don't know anything, mm-hmm. which is a good thing to know. That's true. I feel like we can definitely get stuck where we think we've got everything figured out and then just not look any further. Maybe just because of fear that we might find that we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Or, but we, Whoa. we just hit a wall. The, this idea that like this ignorance is because we're afraid that we we won't we we will find out that we're wrong or that we're that we'll find out that we don't know or we'll find uh, uh, unknowingness itself you know like this kind of void or whatever yeah. uh, what what are those things in, in science dark matter if we learn too much we start getting to dark matter and that just freaks everybody out yeah totally or even just a, a simpler version you can think of just Sometimes when you, you're little, you can remember your parents like improving a little bit on something you've said. Like you explain something and they like say it a bit differently, and you get really mad at them because you're like, well, "I said that, like I knew that." Like, right. But that's just because that was the end of your wall. That was the end of your limit. You're like, "I'm done with that. We're gonna move on and learn new things and stuff like that." And then it's like, "Oh, I didn't even know the end of that one. It's so annoying." Yeah. Right, and there's always a depth of everything. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good, because the last question is always, what's your heresy? So, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, what are your heresies? What are your false teachings? Man, I can get into that. <laughs> yeah? Well, that's, that's coming up. I thought you got to be baptized to be a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> or do you? <laughs> or do you, yeah. Is that is that orthodox? It's important, isn't it? Yeah. But you can be a Christian and not be baptized. You can't, I imagine so. It'd be kind of weird if someone was like, well, <laughs> they were going to go to heaven. <laughs> you know, didn't we, check we didn't baptize them. Although, actually, I was reading the Bible the other day, and, um, and I come across this passage. Um, Paul is talking about resurrection, and he points of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, um, if, and he's saying, like, resurrection is very important, and if you don't believe in resurrection, then why are people being baptized for the dead? And it's like, this is a thing that, that Paul's cool with? Like, how come nobody does that anymore? So it sounds to me like there was people in that time that were being baptized on behalf of people who had already died. So that is kind of a, on the topic of this, you know, he died too, too early. That is a practice that was going on. Yeah. And it's funny, only the Mormons kind of kept with that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so maybe the Mormons it. are right after all. <laughs> baptism for the, baptism is relevant for me because I haven't even, I haven't been baptized. Because so. you grew up Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, like we, we have you, like you the, had one job. <laughs> and we have the water tank in the church. It's like resting underneath the pastor, so all the, the holy words are going through the tank of water. And everything is going into the tank. No, just kidding. Is, there, is there another religion or denomination that like, you know, you can be the name of that to church and you just don't do it. I guess, like, Scientologists don't believe in science, so there's that. <laughs> you could do that, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's few. Few things where you can be a Baptist and not be baptized. <laughs> but I guess that is the thing with Baptists, is that it is a choice to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And so that it would be part of it then. That would make sense. I didn't have a choice in the matter. It, it used to be, like... 
when I was younger, I, people had told me that you can't um, partake in communion until you're baptized. Oh. But then when I had to be a teenager, they let me partake in <laughs> communion without yeah. being baptized. <laughs> yeah, the rules are always changing. That's the same as my church. Uh, same thing. Um, profession of faith, though, we called it. Basically, basically, we do baby dedication and baptism the way the evangelicals do. We just call baby dedication baptism, and we call profession of, or we call the adult one profession of faith. They're both very similar processes and, and ceremonies. The adult one is, you know, this is why I'm a Christian, and we just think baptism goes with the dedication one because of it's the extension of circumcision. The old covenant of circumcision was replaced by baptism. And then there's passages in the Bible like he and his whole family were baptized. Those are reasons that uh, we think that maybe um, <clears throat> um, baptism is for... Uh, baptism starts with God rather than uh, starts with our choice, I guess. So do you think every Christian should get baptized kind of right away I don't really care that much <laughs> about it at this point um, that's my churches I just gave my, my church's background in that uh, but people like killed each other about this and I don't think that that's important enough to kill people about I love baby dedications I think they're beautiful and so if the focus of the baby dedication is that this child is held by God um, then I think that's great you know if there's an overemphasis on this child better not F it up, you know, or he's not going to make it to heaven. Like, I, what, what I appreciate about my tradition is is um, is that it's not up to the child. It's not up to... The belief is that it's up to God at some level. Yeah. And that, you know, that whole Aslan thing... Uh, you couldn't have called for me if I hadn't called you first. Yeah. So do you think everyone who God calls will be baptized? Because there's like, I feel like there's quite a bit of scripture, at least when Jesus talks, it's like, like be baptized and then follow me kind of thing. Yes, repent, believe, and then be baptized. Yeah, it's part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that's a good question, because I, I don't see salvation as a baptism as, a, as an issue, a salvation issue. I see it as like a symbolic, right? Like a, this is a sign of the washing away of your sins. Um, and it, uh, and honestly, I, I love adult baptism too. I think it's so beautiful. Like um, making that choice and then being held under the water and pulled up, you know, this sort of dying to self and rising to Christ. So I am pretty env envious of that experience. I know it's been like a quite a uh, uh, emotional experience for a lot of my friends too. Just really powerful, you know, this sort of dying and, and emerging and just feeling like a different person or whatever. So, Yeah, for, for me it's like, it seems like it's the sacrament, at least in the Baptist circle it makes sense that it would be, but the sacrament that has the most reverence to it and in North America, because we often like don't do too well with having reverence for like communion as much. Like we're not like the Catholics who believe that it turns into the yeah right. blood of Christ, and they don't right. treat it as as that holy. But baptism seems to have a a bit of a, a higher standing. We just like we do more for it. Yeah, 
it becomes a big thing. Yeah, everyone goes out to the river and and you know. And like, if you have family from like different churches and things like that, different churches come up to it and stuff, and they yeah. make a big deal out of it. That's Gee, true. Lord. That's true. Baptism is a big deal. That's that's neat. So um, yeah, it's interesting that we held on to that one. Mm-hmm. The most. Yeah. In a lot of my uh, Anabaptist classes, you talked about like kind of when the first Protestants started popping up and they were like baptizing themselves, and that was like second baptism. They got killed for that kind of thing. Yes. And the first baptisms, like they were doing sprinkling, yeah. which is even worse. Like it's like you have to do full submersion, and like that's still a big thing amongst Baptist churches: submersion versus like sprinkling. The big, and, big controversy. Yeah, and it's just it's so dumb that we can make that such a big deal but we all come from these Protestants that they started off with sprinkling like baptism was so so important to them and they started off with a sprinkling just because they had to keep it somewhat secretive and so they didn't get killed interesting and and they were able to make that sacrifice but we're not we have to we say no sprinkling has to be submersion or it doesn't count yeah so maybe like baptism is similar to like like acts of faith and things like that that could you should see it like out of like a Christian's life you should see good acts and like you know uh, faith without works is dead kind of mm-hmm. thing but but it has nothing to do with the faith process you think what what is that how, how does that tie into baptism oh I sorry like baptism is just like kind of an act it's an outward act so it's oh, like the same as you know you expect to see a Christian do good things you expect to see a Christian be baptized but it has nothing to do with that you're actually saved. Right. Neat. And at the same time, we repent for, um, you know, not doing well, and not doing good acts. Like, can we repent from not being baptized? Like, how does that work? Yeah, repent and be baptized. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? That's interesting. Why sacraments? That's the topic for this podcast. Sacraments. Why? Why? What are the sacraments, and why are they so important? And there's seven of them. Well, there's seven for if you're Catholic. There's only two if you're Protestant. We just like, yeah, just to keep it simple. We're like we're 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 immigrants, you know. (laughs) We are farmers. We just want just these two and get on with my life. But I think marriage is one as well in the Catholic tradition. One of the seven, and uh, I'd be really bummed if people stopped seeing marriage as a sacrament intentionally mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite sacraments because giving to the poor though a sacrament as well oh neat giving alms yeah I yeah. bet, I so bet I it like is we should include that yeah. one too okay so we got at least <laughs> we got four there he is gotta join us Peter oh what mm, we're oh, doing it oh jeez we're Walking doing it. in the middle again yep okay my roommate we're gonna talk about sacraments sacraments what the heck they are yeah, didn't uh, Jesus get rid of those once and for all? <laughs> you got rid of the law, right? Or wait, no. <laughs> uh, are we at the heresy part? Or <laughs> <laughs> I have a fun quote that I that I read in John Calvin's Institutes, which, which, as we all know, is uh, the only true Orthodox <laughs> book of, of religion. If you can ever spend time reading through that huge <laughs> thing, yeah, and if you can. Uh, Stomach the parts where like God sends people to hell and but but uh, but he said that um, sacraments 
are like, particularly the, well, all the sacraments, they're like, they're like the sun shining. The sun is the sun warms and um, and food nourishes, and the sacraments are the same way. So so we can either look to the sacrament itself, like we look to the sun, like the pagans look to the sun and say, the sun is my God, the sun warms me. But the truth is that God warms through the sun, right? God nourishes through food in the same way he nourishes the believer through communion, in the same way he, um, he uh, I guess, washes away sins via baptism. Um, but it's, it's ultimately God... At the root of it, it's not the thing itself that's doing anything. It's God through this means. Uh, same with marriage. It's not your wife who makes you better. It's God through your wife who uh, perfects you. So then, can I live in a way as if I'm baptized when I'm not baptized? And can I be baptized and then live in a way that I'm as if I'm not baptized? Yes. Like circumcision with the Jews. Yes, the circumcision of the heart. Yeah. That's what the it's all about. The baptism of the heart. Yeah, and that's right. And so we and, and that's right. And so in the same way, we can take these we can take these sacraments and use them in a way that's very um, um, kind of law-ish and not spirit-filled at all. And so, yeah, boom, problem solved. Podcast over. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think, um, I think that's absolutely true. The is the reverse true? You can take non-sacraments and use them in a very oh, sacramental way. Can you do anything? Can anything be sacramental? Is it purely symbolic, or is there something inherent to the behavior itself that literally brings the spirit of God into this world more fully? Yeah, I think, I think, unfortunately, in the in the in the West, we've. Uh, in the West, what am I talking about? In the West, in the Protestant tradition, we've we've emphasized it as a symbolic thing, and we've lost that. But I think I think absolutely one hundred percent these sacraments, when they're done seriously in a way that, that that really believes in what's going on, there's a, a literal, not literal, but there's a sacramental, <laughs> which which I like like to think of like a middle road between literal and um, figurative. and figurative. Yeah, there's a sacramental. Um, um, washing away of your sins in baptism, and there's a sacramental um, um, feeding you and filling you with Christ in the Lord's Supper, and yeah. So, if water is chaos, maybe the Christian walk demands that we get dipped into mm. the chaotic, the evil, the suffering, in order to come back out new. Boom. Because this brings us to this whole other conversation about about um, about like whole holistic kind of outlook on, on on Christianity. Can God use evil for good? You know, we're not saying that God is evil or God embodies evil at all, but that God uses evil, you know, like like chaos to to kind of be an, be a pawn to kind of be a an agent for good. Can we be Christians? Or can God work without suffering? Does God need evil? Does God need, yeah. Oh. Yeah, because you have the that kind of that kind of, you know, Joe moment where the, the the advocate or not the advocate, the adversary. Where the adversary says says, you know, I wanna I wanna um, 
you know, heard, heard Job, and then God says, like, yeah, you can. And, and then, it, so in the, in the Bible, then it talks about, like, moments of temptation, right? And it says, when, if any of you are being tempted, you should never think God is tempting me, right? But God will provide you moments to uh, where you can come out of it. But at the other ha- end of the coin, then, it says God tests you, right? And so the tests are from God, but the temptations are from evil. And so how does evil fit then in with God's plan and is evil you know, part of this story for some sort of redemptive purpose. Yeah, Townsend's always fond of of saying that, you know, you need a concept good to understand concept right. evil, you need the opposites or whatever. But person yeah, personally I don't find it super wow. Uh, yeah, I don't find it as compelling as he does. And I think the biggest reason I do so is because I imagine heaven. I imagine, you know, the remake kingdom. <clears throat> and it doesn't really seem like it's, it's, it, it will be any better because life has pains now. Like, it seems like it will simply be perfect. Everything will be as good as it ever could be there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that will be out of alignment. And that that would be the case whether whether uh, sin was a part of my life at one time or not. You know, that way that would be the case no matter whether evil was ever a thing previously or not. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Yeah. What yeah. do you guys think about that? Um, uh, I, 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 okay, so I want to keep that thought, but this is a slightly different direction. Mm. Um, um, but it might, it might, it'll probably come around. Enlightenment for the Easterners, Eastern Christians as well, is the oneing of everything. You know, two things becoming one. Right. Okay. Um, dualisms turning into monisms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, that moment of enlightenment. Oh, this is getting good. So um, because because so 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 yeah, that moment of enlightenment is, is supposed to be. Um, when when all of these 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 dualisms, you kind of see them as two different sides of the same coin, or, or mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't say I'm a team this or team that, but you're you're rather saying no, I embrace fullness, I embrace you know life itself, I embrace ultimate reality. Because, um, and so what's interesting to me is because I don't want to adopt some kind of like weird sort of like God and the devil are the same person at all. Um, right. But but I'm interested in this then in Christ coming to earth and reconciling earth with heaven, right? Which we normally see as like a dualism, heaven and earth as two separate things. But Christ coming to earth brings heaven to earth, or, or more accurately, brings earth into heaven. And so it's sort of this, this oneing of all of these dualisms. And so that, that strikes me as interesting, right? Because, because then you have fullness. Because I don't, I don't particularly like the idea... Not the, and maybe it's just because my brain is too small, but I don't particularly like the idea of heaven just being uh, bliss, you know, <clears throat> of just being like, you know, playing harps and all is good and you never, there's no, there's no um, conflict. Totally, okay. What, what, what kind of conflict what, would happen in heaven? Well, I see it as kind of a, like climbing a mountain, you know? 
Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> but 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 heaven is this this never ending mountain. God is this never ending mountain. God is this infinity. And so if we're finite, He's infinite. We are not. Uh, we are constantly in the process of becoming more infinite. And we can do that for eternity. Does that make sense? We just scale the endless mountain, and it just gets cooler and cooler and better and better, and it remains really hard all the time. So then can we come back down the mountain? Can we fall down? Roll down? In heaven? Can I push Andy down? Well, I guess... (laughs) (laughs) Sucker! (laughs) Would that push be you falling down the mountain, metaphorically? Um, um, It's... (laughs) I don't think. Uh, okay, I don't think so because I think I think it's all one thing at that point. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> Sorry, because no. because you are constantly making progress, but but there's not really an up or a down. You know, it's like a deeper and a deeper, but not in a linear way and like a Soul. fullness way. Soul. Perfection, just an ever greatening perfection kind of a deal. Yeah, mm. and you can't you can't really get less perfect. I think I think it would be something like you're already perfect and you get more perfect. Mm. You know, but when you get more perfect, you can't add that in a kind of a, a an objective sort of linear way. You right. just are more perfect. That's what I see. Yeah, is that verse? I feel like that's one of the first people used to be like you know universalism. Boom. <laughs> Um, but while you're saying that, the verse that came to my mind is actually quite the opposite, and that is, um, is the Romans one. No, it's the Hebrews one. Oh, if 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 it, once you've tasted it, if you if you persist in sin, you know, then then no sacrifice for sin is left, but a fearful waiting of the coming judgment. Which one's that? That's Hebrews ten, man. That verse has haunted me for my whole life. <laughs> How about Hebrews six six? So our listeners know Peter's gone now. We had to pause the recording and move, so Peter's no longer with us. Uh, maybe I'm I'm reading like a similar verse to what you got, because mine's actually the opposite of what I was trying to say. <laughs> oh shoot! In the case of those who are once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of come of the age to come, and then have fallen away, is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they. <laughs> Again, crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to, sh- to open shame. Whoops! <laughs> well, no! Well, good thing we've weeded out our own heresy. <laughs> I guess so. But that doesn't necessarily line up with the rest of the Bible. Hebrews is a doozy. And, and, it, and that's not to say anything negative about it, um, because it's important that it's in there. But, but Martin Luther didn't like it. <laughs> What's the Hebrews 10 one? <laughs> he put it at the... Oh, uh, the Hebrews 10, yeah, 10, it's in there somewhere. If we go, if you persist in sin, um, for if we go on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Uh, nice, that, that NASB is a good translation I like Anyone that. who has set aside the law of Moses Dies without mercy on the testimony Of two or three witnesses <laughs> Whoops <laughs> Just two or three really, really heavy um, oh. 
How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that fits sort of with, with uh, well, it ties in in my mind to what I was saying earlier because this idea that if, if we're grafted in, right, if Christ comes, comes down to earth and pulls us up to heaven, um, then, and then we're, our bodies are temples, you know, and of the Holy Spirit, then, then we're profaning the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we're not just profaning, we're not just going back to the sort of like, you know, flesh, party, fun time. We're like, we're taking the whole temple of the Holy Spirit and uniting it with a prostitute for the, in the example that he, he, he get, Paul gives in another part of the Bible, right? I don't remember where that is, but he says, you know, shall I take the, the temple of the Holy Spirit and unite it with a prostitute, right? And so that's sort of the, the smackdown there, is if, if, if we've been pulled up into heaven, into uh, ultimate reality itself, then, then how dare we, uh, you know, mess around with fleshy stuff? Yeah. This is super heavy. Yeah, and it, it, but it, from these verses, it seems like, you know, what we were talking about before the mountain, it seems like we can turn down the mountain, right? Like, we can look at the mountain and see how great it is and turn down. But then it's impossible for us to actually turn back up. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but what's that, like, the Romans verse that counters yeah, the that? The nice one. Oh, no, no, no. It's in there. Because, yeah, because... Let's get back to the Romans. Let's get back to Romans. I was actually reading the spirit of because because I this you know the Calvinists we always want to say um, you know you you can never lose your salvation you know perseverance of the saints you know once saved always saved he will never stop pursuing you these are all wonderful comforts that I had as a young child when I was uh, worried that I was going to sometime later turn away from God and go to hell <clears throat> well that was always my comfort is that once you're saved you're always saved so. Conveniently, my mom pointed me to Romans and not to Hebrews. <laughs> Do you know, actually, in Jewish culture, um, like they're not allowed to read books like Revelation, Hebrews, until they're like quite a bit older, like 30, I think. Wow, that's brilliant. It's significantly older than the rest of the books. That's brilliant. So it's like after you have like a really strong foundation, then you go yeah. into kind of the books yeah. that help balance that out. Interesting. Interesting. And that's where you get kind of Christ's warning, you know, against the 30-year-olds, the default, the teachers who says, you know, it's better if you have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the ocean, you know. Because, not because you're, you're a young kind of rebel who, you know, is mad at his parents, but because you are actually like grounded, rooted in God, and yet you're leading people astray. Um... Yeah, I guess that that wouldn't be a Jewish tradition. That would be like early Christian tradition. Yeah, yeah. The Jews wouldn't read Hebrews or Revelation. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thinking that. I thought maybe My it was bad. just like the the Old Testament equivalents of those or whatever the, the heavy ones. But yeah, that would, that makes sense. Um, that's smart. Yeah, I'm glad my parents did not point me to Hebrews. I think you're also right about the the Jewish equivalents. They keep them away from those tough mm. books. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Job. <laughs> Job, yeah. <laughs> Job will wreck your life. <laughs> well, it'll wreck Job's life, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Romans is my favorite book because I, cause, cause I was pointed to Romans 9 when I was a kid for, like, for, 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 that's not my favorite, but one thing I really like about it is that in Romans 9 it specifically says, like, that, that you know, God sends some people to heaven and other people to hell almost 
explicitly, you know, and, and, and that's fine. And that's where John Calvin gets a lot of his theology from. But then Romans 10 and Romans 11 totally counteract that. You will say that branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Boom, this is so heavy today. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you'll be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So, seems like they're re-grafting. Seems like to be the the Bible kind of is consistent in that. You're going to get grafted out, but then you can be grafted back in. But then once you're grafted out, you can't get back in, but then you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And it does, that's true. It is so confusing to read Romans because it, 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 Romans isn't just a contradiction with Hebrews, but Romans contradicts kind of itself over and over again. Like it says, like, yeah, there's no chance, you know. You know, Christ is the stumbling block. May their backs be bent forever, he quotes from Isaiah. And then, and then he goes on to say, oh, yeah, but then you can... You can come back. Yeah. This is why, obviously, the Bible is, like, from God-inspired, God-breathed, because it makes, like, so little sense <laughs> to us. Like, no one would try to start a religion and write this. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> and just contradict itself all over the place. No one would do this. I like that. I like that perspective a lot. The Book of Mormon probably makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Oh, but this is again that thing of how like contradictions when you get further and further towards and I'm using this Buddhist term enlightenment but I don't think it's mutually exclusive with Christianity when you get further and further and closer and closer to God himself and to, to unity with, with, with God actually they even the NASB used that term enlightenment right when we were just reading mm-hmm. um, so you get closer and closer to this enlightened way of thinking these, these twos turn into ones and the contradictions aren't really contradictions anymore they're just two aspects of the same thing, and there's just fullness. I don't know. The third way. Yeah. It's like they, whenever they try to trap Jesus into something, it's like, okay, it's either this or it's this. And mm-hmm. he's always like, well, actually, it's this. And he'll yeah. find a new way, and they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And a way that like includes the other two ways. Yeah, or actually addresses the real problem. So mm, yeah. where they're like trying to trap him by saying like if you marry like seven people or whatever then who's your bride in heaven or something yeah and it's like oh well, there's no marriage in heaven <laughs> yeah. it's all about god yeah totally I, and i like the um also when he um wait let's tie this back into sacraments i think oh. it's possible anything is possible yeah okay why we set up sacraments for direction because they're so so easy to get lost Right. And all of these, we're just jumping around to story to story. We don't even know if we're like quoting them properly or anything like that. Yeah. These sacraments, so it can be like, all right, here are the seven things you can check off and feel good. Yeah. When really. When really you don't really need them. Yeah. Like you don't have to partake in communion to be a Christian, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Yeah. But the, but they order it right, so there's something there's something objective about them. You know they 
they they give order to to the the subjective experiences that we all feel you know the 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 depths of of our subjectivity the the, the mystery the void you know the, they they order these things Obedience, too, just because you know Jesus did this, so we're obedient, and said we should also do this. He, had, he was baptized, said we should be baptized. He had yeah. So we should have communion. So, yeah, that's true. Even though we can't really nail it down, we can just say, well, Jesus told us to do it, so we're going to be obedient. Yeah, that's so good because um. This sort of like I I want to know things on my own, like the Tower of Babel. You know, I want to get to heaven on my own. Um, the the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, I don't need you for the knowledge of good and evil. I I can know it. You know, on my own. I I want to be like God. I want to be a God. I want to be able to know. You know, reasonably, rationally, right from wrong. Um, these are all things that that, and again, knowledge of good and evil, like a dualism that that gets kind of shattered as you kind of grow closer and closer to God. It kind of, it kind of falls apart. And um, this is what it's all coming back to, is that, is that that's why obedience is important. Because, because the truth of the matter is, at the end of all things, we don't understand the Bible even. You know, we can't interpret the Bible. We can't um, know anything really on our own. And the closer we get to God, the more we realize it's not it's not the closer we get to God, the more we have everything hashed out. It's it's the more, you know, we're thirty years old, we've been walking with God for a while, and we're allowed to read the book of Hebrews and we're allowed to read um, the book of Job and, and, and everything kind of gets blown out of proportion or not out of proportion. Everything all of our systems and categories kind of get, get exploded and we're lost, and that's where, where you said obedience that's that's bang on because yeah. because it's faith then at that point. We, we move from this realm of everything's objective, I can understand it, to, you know what, I don't know anything uh, apart from Christ and him crucified, you know. I know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's another thing that Paul says at some point. So we can be moving down our path and have it almost all figured out. But part of our path is that it's going to get broken up again so that we have to face obedience and have to pay, face suffering. We can't just be the intellectual. We can't just build our boxes. We can't just move to an end of one thing and say, all right, now I'm going to pursue something else, because it never ends, because it will always get shaken back up. You're, yeah. You think you have it all figured out one way, like when you're a kid and you get mad when your parents correct you a little bit. Yeah. Cause, and that's going to be the rest of your life. It's just like you're never going to reach the end of anything. Okay, so in that light, what's eternity? Not if that's Earth, if that's our earthly existence, a constant, you know, I know something, things get, sh- get shaken up and shattered, and then you kind of piece them back together in a way that's meaningful, and you take another step forward, and those categories get broken, then you piece them back together in a way that's meaningful. Because I don't, I, I don't believe in the kind of nihilistic, postmodern... Um, you know, truth is rupture. Truth is the the, the, the traumatic event. Like I, I I believe that that's part of it. I just I just think that that we need to, like you're saying, the cycle is important. You know, yeah. things get ruptured and then you take a step forward. You order it again. Yeah, we don't learn anything from failure. We learn how we respond to failure. Huh. 
So it's not the failure itself. It's not the chaos itself. It's how we respond to it with yes. either obedience, with faith. Yeah. And that's and that's the the spirit kind of works through these events, right? And 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 that also can tie into what we were saying about you know God isn't chaos, truth isn't chaos, but but it, the chaos kind of motivates us into stronger, more solid beings that that can continue to move forward. So then, in light of that, if eternity, so you're saying before, just like climbing a a mountain and continuing to improve, is there still chaos then to break those? And let us keep improving. Yeah, I think I think I might have been wrong about that. I think uh, yeah. Now that I think it through, I think um, I'm gonna go ahead and say eternity is just total unity. And I mean, there's moments of eternity here, right? This sort of the Kierkegaard always wanted the the individual to be standing before eternity and feeling that rupture, feeling that that terrifying. Uh, you know, splitting apart when, when, when a human being stands before eternity, right? But this sort of coming kingdom, this sort of um, my faith is in Christ, not in my own ability to know things. Um, when, we, when we place our faith and our trust in Christ, not in our own ability to know everything, then somehow we are grafted into this eternity tree and we are one with the everything and... Uh, and we spend our eternity getting to know God. Yeah. Knowing God fully and getting to know him at the same time. Yeah. We've got everything we need to know him fully. Yeah. And he's just so endless, we spend our eternity with him. Yeah. Exploring all of these yeah. things that are him. And, and along with getting to know God is, uh, is getting to know our neighbors, right? And so everyone in heaven is like deepening in relationship with the other and, and, and growing in in unity, in diversity, because I think diversity is a big part of heaven. It's not we don't just all become this one lump yeah. uh, of nothingness, you know, that the, the kind of the Buddhist nirvana. I think I think we still remain ourselves, right? We each have our unique selves that God made, um, so we don't negate the self. We have the self, and we just, um, yeah, we're relating with all these different different people. So so we just are growing slowly in uni- in unity and diversity, but we're already all one. And uh, realize how much better it is because there's so many people and there's so many much diversity and how much God created us to be together and work together and and yeah. that's being together is very much a part of heaven as being with God too. Yeah, because we get to be with perfect Christ-like beings who model God. We're all in the image of God, so we get to spend more time with more images of God. Yeah. Yeah, and another image, like image of God, is kind of like icon. You know, like the Catholics have these icons, these these people that reflect God, and uh, and so this idea of iconography in the Orthodox, many people have icons. Um, this idea of I- images, all these icons of God, you know, that reflect different aspects of who God is, perfectly in heaven, not on earth, but in heaven, these people all reflect the image of God perfectly, uh, and so everything is a brush with. The otherness of another person and the uh, getting to know them better and, and, and growing from such diverse places into one thing but remaining at retaining our differences <coughs> and Lewis says even you know um, it's not and he actually you mentioned this to me but uh, but it's not that you know 
in hell, you know, Satan, everything's just the same. You know, it's the same boring lump of nothing. And as, as goodness develops, it becomes the, the, the more good, you know, a person becomes. It's like a tree that, that uh, the more it grows, the more it grows, uh, ripens and, and distinguishes itself from rotten things and distinguishes itself even from other good things, you know, as they ripen and grow. And yeah, it's always, it's, I think it's one of the lines out of the screw tape letters are like how normal all the, how similar all the people like in hell and how gloriously different are all the saints. Yeah. That kind of. Yeah, exactly. So we, were, we were talking before about like heaven and, and having, we decided it was there was no chaos and that it's just working and, and getting closer to God and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So if we take into light like Genesis, the beginning, like chaos over the water, God speaks over the water and starts forming things and at the end, Revelation 21, the sea is dried up, like it's all gone. Chaos is gone. If, if we take in that into light, like why do we need chaos today in our world? Like, why are we, do we reach, like, stagnant, like, complacent stages? Because in heaven, I'm assuming you think the same as I do, like, we won't need any motivation to keep improving and getting closer to God. Right. It's just going to be so obvious to us that he is the light, the truth, everything that is good. We're going to pour our lives into him and pursue him further. So, is chaos just, like, when God uses suffering to kind of mess up our lives, to make us focus back on him, is it just the way God is using chaos? Or is <coughs> complacency part of our condition? Like, is that part of... It's in nature. What's the relationship between complacency and chaos? Um just that um, it, chaos seems to be what gets us out of our complacency oh yeah yeah so I, that sounds like it, 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 you answered the okay. question pretty good yourself then so then neither what, what's that well so if we need if God this may be a better way of asking it is like do we need chaos to fight complacency? Mm. Does complacency exist? Or is complacency part of our sin nature? Is that part of the deal? Yeah, because it's an interesting word, too, because it usually means, like, you know, kind of a satisfaction or a, yeah. a, a general... But like reaching where you feel like I've reached my limits, you know, I've yeah. done my job, like, completion. yeah. Because in many ways, that is the, the heaven, the goal that we're promised, is this final, when we finally reach the goal, when we finally get the crown, when we finally get our reward in heaven, like, that's when we can finally be complacent, you might even say, right? We can finally be lazy and coast a bit, you know, coast out <laughs> eternity. Yeah, you know, eternity. Get etern up once a week. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, eternity is like the long nap after a really hard journey, you know, eternity is the... Um, day of rest <laughs> yeah the the eternal rest you know this like <laughs> we're done with um this hard stuff um but i don't believe that is true 
because um, like we were talking about earlier, it's this growing, and, and like you were yeah. saying, um, there probably won't be complacency in heaven. We will probably, um, we'll probably be mo- motivated ourselves, and because of that self-motivation, we won't need chaos in order to rupture, in order to, to motivate us to, uh, to change. So I'm just like trying to figure out, unravel how we should respond to complacency. In, in this day and age? Yeah. What? Because, you know, it can often be underrated, I guess, as being evil. Right. If we can unpack it and along with chaos, we can throw it into the, the evil lump. That's right. And then people take it more seriously. <laughs> right. I see. Because rest is very important. But I would not equivoc- equivocate rest with complacency. complacency. Because rest is like the hardest thing to do. My com- when I'm complacent, I'm 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 playing video games, okay. right? Yeah. That's my complacency. I'm watching movies. I'm I'm listening to podcasts and just like, just that's my complacency. Rest is when I shut that all off and I try to connect with myself and with God in a very like intimate and private kind of meditation or whatever, right? And it's so real. And then like stuff comes to the surface that I have to deal with, right? So that I would see as like, as not being complacent. So I think I think yeah, we can lump complacency in with with chaos. It's sort of like a, um, because <clears throat> as finite human beings, we, um, we are not perfect, and therefore any moments of rest and downtime we get, our imperfections will come to the surface. In heaven, when we have no more imperfections. Um, then we achieve true, true rest, probably for the first time in our life. Does that answer well? I'm just ripping here. Say that again. Okay. If you can. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and I'll try to maybe phrase it in a different way. Um, but, but I don't see. So, so if we want to lump complacency in with sin, mm-hmm. you know, then I would see complacency as I am a broken, fallen person. And, um, and I'm unwilling to change. So at, at the very root of who I am, I'm selfish, I'm dishonest, I'm, um, you know, sexist, <laughs> and just all these other things, right? And, um, and that's fine, right? So, so this chaos helps to kind of rupture that. You get you 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 see a girl, you're attracted to her, and so you start to go on dates. But then that starts to slowly reveal what a selfish jerk you are, right? And that's where you know the sacrament of marriage, just to tie that back in again, um, comes in because because you know it's bringing these things to the surface. In the same way, resting, um, this this selfish I'm cool with that person is not much into meditation or into to self-knowledge at all. He's playing video games. He's, um, he's distracting himself. He's filling his life with distraction with iPhones and with movies and with, with buying stuff. And, um, so, so in some ways, the, the rat race, the, uh, the, the acquiring this motivation of like, I want a bigger house, a bigger car, I want admiration, I want people to like me. This is complacency, right? It's a way of like defending against this inner kind of kind of silence, and so um, so the opposite of complacency is not like you know getting buying buying a nice car and applying yourself at a job. The opposite of complacency is rest, 
that's my theory then. Oh, I see, because complacency is our response when we feel like we can't rest. Yeah. So in our day and yes. age, we're pressured to do a lot more with our day, right? Yeah. We, businesses don't even take Sunday off. Like everyone works all the time. Like I do homework on Sunday. A lot of my homework gets done on Sunday. Yeah, a lot of my too. work gets done on supposedly one day off. So because we're unable to rest, we busy ourselves so that it's not like we don't have to admit to anyone that we're resting, that we're quitting, we're still working, but yeah. we're less productive because we're not able to reach that good intellectual level where we can actually accomplish things well. Mm. So we can't rest enough mm -hmm. to recover and do deliver good work. So we're complacent and we kind of stay in this kind of middle yeah. ground, never getting enough rest and yep. never really being as good as we could be at what yep. we're doing. Yeah, and some people reach like amazing potential out of that place of, out of this uh, negative space of I don't want to face my inner demons, right? Um, they you know go on to be, I don't know, the guy who makes the iPhone or whatever. <laughs> not that not that Steve, J I don't know anything about his life. I didn't read his biography. I don't know if he's a good or a bad guy, but you can you can achieve these amazing big, big milestones. Um, out of a place of, of refusing to, to, to acknowledge, you yeah. know, your brokenness. Lawyers and doctors just work so hard yeah. to achieve this amazing, like, thing of knowledge. You know? And so, so it, 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 might be, it might be just that the question of productivity in kind of a worldly sense is not the same as the question of um, productivity in a heavenly sense, you know? Like maybe maybe spiritual productivity is just being like Mary and sitting at the feet of Jesus for eternity, you know that perfect rest. Um, yeah. So so and in eternity in eternity we can rest because we've achieved perfection, you know. But and so spiritually we can rest even in eternity because we are united with fully united with um, with God but even but even here and now I think because I earlier in the conversation I think I was operating under this assumption that um, rest is um, rest is spiritual internal work right and if we rest if we meditate and rest enough then God can do more spiritual work in us and get us to a place of better perfection. And I think even in that, in articulating that, I'm adopting this sort of works-based mentality with, that the gospel is so averse to. Because the gospel is Christ has achieved perfection. He has united um, ultimate goodness with ultimate base, you know, donkeys born in a barn kind of like poverty. And so, and, and sin, you know. And so, um, he's done the work of that gap reconciling already. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe rest is just trying to humble yourself enough to receive that gift of like, you are grafted in, you are mine, you are divine already. Yeah, and along with that, just being obedient in order to be restful too. Like having the faith to be restful too. Yeah. Tying that back in too. Question then, what's complacency? This negative form of that. 
in a negative form of yeah maybe rest is like actually doing nothing but complacency yeah. is well I'll cover both bases you know I'll be doing nothing but at the same time I'll be doing a little bit mm -hmm. just in case this nothing thing doesn't work mm -hmm. out for me like Ananias yeah. and Sapphira will keep back some of the money right. but we'll give a lot to the church so like yeah. we can keep up images but still keep money for ourselves right yeah yeah complacency yeah nice complacency is when is when I, I want to get into the zone of meditation right or into the zone of, of, of communion with God and so I listen to a sermon while I'm playing video games because I can't fully connect because that's too intimidating for me you know, it's that, that holding that little bit back. Yeah, totally. But it's so hard to give, like, your full attention to something like, like a, a sermon because it is, like, uh, it's intellectually draining. So you can kind of be like, oh, I'm getting tired. I'll just focus on something that's easy, like this video game. Mm. And I feel more successful, I guess, in, like, in where I'm focusing my attention. So maybe sometimes we have to just have that rest before we go into that sermon, you know, like, mm. you have to take time to actually recover, actually sleep, actually yeah. eat, instead of skipping a meal to even, you know. So, in, in the temporal, where we live now, um, what is, what's the point? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to ask, because... Because Christ has reconciled the eternal with the temporal, so we are already filled with the Holy Spirit and images of God and reconciled to Him through what Christ did for us. Um, so what is this? What is this world? What is this life all about? If it's already been done, you know, like. That's the paradox of the kingdom is here, but not yet. Yeah, no, it is, but it is. Yeah. How can we unpack that? So we continue to we continue to bring the kingdom more. Yeah, even though like it's already here. Yeah, Christ has brought it completely. Yeah, I, I like the word realize. Right, it's a, there's two there's two sides of that word. Realize, um, meaning you know. Uh, uh, God was here and I didn't realize it, right? But then there's also, um, you know, Kobe Bryant realized his fifth basket of the game. I don't, you know what I mean? Like someone, uh, someone realized into existence this creative work. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, so. Oh, okay. So, no, sorry. This is a better, a better example. His vision was realized okay. in in making the film. <clears throat> right? Yeah. So it was it was created, you know? And so that's I think that's kingdom work. You know, it's realizing it's already here. And it's realizing it. <laughs> and making it here. Right? And I think those are both the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that too. Because if it's something you had to create that wasn't already here, you wouldn't really believe you can create it. You know? Because Christ has already brought it that we believe yeah. as broken people we can bring yes. it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> we don't, we don't, um, and Plato's, Plato has always said this, we don't learn truths, we remember truths. Yeah. Right? 
Like, so <laughs> it's it's all... There's nothing new under the sun. That's right. Yeah, this is, this is it's done. Um, but we're learning, you know, the process of learning is, is, is a slow process of realizing that it's already all completed, that the game is all over, that everything is fixed, you know. <laughs> and, but it's also very imperative that we do stuff for his kingdom, but... One plus one will always be two, but we have to learn that that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so then what, so then my life now is just simply living a full, happy, peaceful, restful existence, I guess. Yeah. And that bears witness and just join the party. Yeah. That's how Christ would live if he had a full life. But lingering in the background, and this will tie everything together is our is our of this whole discussion I think is our um, what we talked about the other day about um, creation void chaos and what exactly the narrative of scripture is so it doesn't go perfect creation um, fall and then eventual, you know, Christ fixes everything and eventual reconciliation. It starts with void chaos and, and destruction. And then comes creation as the first step with the inevitable fall. And then Christ is like the final step, res- re- resolving everything. And then, and then Christians as co-creators with Christ um, to do that final reconciling. And how you, you mentioned earlier, the final draining of the water of the ocean, you know. Oh, yeah. And just... Just, just total eternity. Yeah, that's cool. I totally agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I love. I love seeing uh, the kind of images of chaos in the Bible, like how big of deal the flood was, like how big a deal it was that Jesus calmed the waters, and just all these, all these situations where water this uncertainty like this fear of water and like like christ can control the weather you know and god can use a flood to set everything right like these this use of chaos Mm. this use of this unknown thing that god is just so in control of wow and and even at the start it's already there before god speaks god speaks light so like this chaos is there before before light he's just yeah and 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 they 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 had the the waters below and the waters above that was their it was like two waters and there was one safe space little slit in the middle of these two eternal voids you know like there's the nice like safe i might be reinterpreting history or what they actually believe but i like to look at it this way if we have two eternal chaotic voids and then in the middle one safe temporal you know non-eternity that is like knowable and simple you know in in between the waters above and the waters beneath yeah and as christians we're part of that (coughs) draining process we're part of we're the image of christ on earth and our like the work of the church the the work of everything in the Old Testament too is all about bringing it to Revelation 21, where the sea is dried up, right? Yeah. Evil, evil's been defeated, and and it starts with just God speaking, God creating, and God using us, letting us be a part of that. <sighs> just 
really like helps simplify what we're about. Yeah. We're about everything that he spoke. We're about that speaking of life. We're saying that that's better than what was this chaos, this water, this whatever was yeah. there before God spoke. We're about God speaking. We want God. Yeah. Anything without and, God. Is and we're the body of Christ now, right? So we are the best we can do. We're, we're the best he's got at this point. We are the God speaking now. Mm-hmm. You know, we are the ordering of the chaos now. We are more than conquerors. We are. Whoa. We are every promise God has ever given. Yeah, and, and because we're, and to use the Kierkegaard term, you know, since we're temporal beings reconciled with eternity, like through Christ, we are reconciled with eternity. We have that eternity pulsing through our veins, you know. We, we, we're, we're uh, Emmett in, in uh, the Lego movie. After he's gone out into the real world, comes back in the Lego movie, realizes it's all a joke, we're Neo from the Matrix, you know, who can just leap over buildings, destroy things just by touching them, like... This is this is what we we've been given as Christians. Faith to move mountains. Yeah. Tell the fig tree that it will produce no more fruit. Yeah. Like we can and do what we want. Uh, yeah, which is so heavy and also terrifying, you know. But oh, but this is so cool because because um you know on the topic of um you know now shall I go and take the temple of God and unite it with a prostitute. Or, or if you look at psychics, for example, who use spiritual gifts for uh, their own financial uh, gain or to, like, you know, manipulate. It's, it's amazing that, um, and my brother told me this the other day. He heard some pastors say this. Demons are not entrepreneurs. So, so all of these dark, manipulative sp- spirits and forces and people in the world, they can't create anything. They can only twist good stuff into bad. They can only use good people to their advantage. They can't be good people that make nice things. They can only steal from good people. You know, like, they're, 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 they're parasites. They twist. And so it, it's, really, it's really, like, it's game over, you know? Like, so when, that's why it's sort of like when salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And, and, and this might be a small bit of insight into this, this kind of idea that, um, of of uh, of um, you know once you leave once you leave you can never get get it back again. It might be a little insight into that, not not really, but but this sort of um, when you're filled with the spirit and you go and try to use that to your own advantage, it just bottoms out on you and you become like a vortex <laughs> of like just of take, you know, and you just like suck all of the good into your eternal uh, void of nothingness, you know, when you, when you, when you partner with evil and, and you're just perverting stuff and like twisting it and it just, it's, it's empty and it's, it, it's just nothingness, you know? And so when you get regrafted into the, to the branch and you're living out of the fullness, out of God, um, then you have everything and you can just give to everyone and you never run out. And so it, there's no sort of like good is good is on the left and evil is on the right and they're like head to head. But it's like good is everything and evil is trying to twist everything into nothing. But like it, it the game's over already because good is everything. Yeah, the only Does power evil ever has or like seems to have success is what it's perverted from what God's already given yeah. His creation. So 
So as you're only able to pervert something because you're a creation of God, you've been given something from God, and then you're perverting it and changing it and things like that. Yeah. And you're saying, oh, look how great this is. Yeah. But it's still God's. Like, yeah. You've not made anything. Yeah. It's like a mutation. Yeah. So the game's over. That that's how that's how it, it can be so fine fine. Uh, that's how it can be so um, final. Like you, we can put all of our trust in God, and at the same time have so much responsibility on ourselves. Does that make sense? Be- because because everything belongs to God, and we can either operate from you know out of Him or operate in a kind of perverty kind of way. Um, yeah, we've all been given like the ten talents or whatever, and we can choose to do good things with it or mm-hmm. bury it in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the mutation thought, just in the sense that it's usually like loss of genetic code in some of those things. Mm-hmm. Like you can you take away genetic code and you can change things, and it kind of gets worse a little bit. It's kind of like what evil does. It takes out of what God's original design was. In order to make something else. Yeah, but it's yeah. still the same thing. Like it's still the same material that God started with and gave to each and every person or each and every creation. It's just you're taking away from it. It just reminds me of the Tower of Babel. Like God's all about like bringing us together and it then like evil just creates that separation like all those different languages and just, yeah and like God's heart is that he just wants to gather his people together you know and not yeah and not in a way that they're gonna worship some God and build some tower and and be corrupt but in a sense that they be with him uh-huh so there's two is there two different kinds of unity and two different kinds of diversity then? Because because we were saying earlier that like you know the more you grow in your faith, the more diverse you become. Um, but now you're saying that the more uh, we grow away from God, the more you know boundaries get put up and the more kind of uh, language divides and things like that happen. Is there? What's the difference between? Does that make sense? Is that a helpful question? Is that something to explore? Does that make sense? I think so, but I might be taking it a totally different direction if I if I answer this. But do it. But for me, the enemy in the Bible is not Satan. He's like not mentioned that much, especially in the Old Testament. Yeah. That enemy of the Bible is like the city of Babel. Like that's what shows up in like when the prophets are talking and um, yeah, just in history and stuff like that. It's always this kind of evil empire is the enemy and they're always about like separating the people of God you know like spreading the Jews out and like wherever there's evil the response of that is like separation like things are spread out and things are broken and thrown apart whenever God like brings a judge or brings a king or something good people get brought together whenever there's evil involved in the kingship all of a sudden there's like north and like there's Israel and Judah like things get broken up and so in the in the sense of what we were talking about, just like unity, I think. Like God's in the business of unity and evil's just like, Well if God wants to do that, then we'll do the opposite. 
we'll spread it out. Yeah. And 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 I I imagine people together sharpen each other in in um in ways that bring out their differences and their distinctness and people separated um get further and further into the void of themselves and that same old boring selfish obsessive nothingness thing you know so that's a good way to reconcile those diversity and unity and then there's um ubiquity or like um same old same old in fragmented lonely individuals cool and the great town ah boom that's so good final question before you go what's your heresy but this got so heavy and it got so crazy that we might not even need one because I'm sure there was tons of heresies oh yeah I feel like I just (laughs) discovered some heresies (laughs) just made some new ones up (laughs) thanks for coming on the show man this was awesome Hey, you're welcome.